Welcome to the Lemp Report Live. On today's broadcast, what Walmart and dollar stores have in common, some surprising facts about your favorite dairy products, what consumers say and what they do about sustainability, there's a new tool in the fight against junk food that's going to surprise you, and a chatbot that's not so smart. We have a new pasta review that you've got to try. And on the bullseye, we wonder if Pizza Hut has pushed the envelope just a little too far. Let's get started. Well, Sally, first, some late-breaking news that just happened yesterday. Um, We reported about this story a few weeks ago, how in New York City, the 60,000 food delivery workers and their union were trying to make an increase. Uh, Currently, these people make, on average, according to CNN, $7.09 an hour. Um... But now the new pay rate will allow them to eventually earn at least $19.96 an hour. The pay will increase to $17.96 an hour this July 12th and then increase again to nearly $20 an hour in April 2025. This marks the first U.S. city um, that is going to establish and implement pay requirements for delivery workers And I've got to tell you, I think that this is going to be a huge story um, and it's going to affect all delivery, whether it be supermarket delivery or any other kind of food delivery in the in the nation. What do you think? I think it's it's really wonderful that these workers um, are getting fair pay. I believe that, you know, that everybody should be getting enough money to to um, provide, um, you know, food and shelter for their families. And so I'm, I'm glad to see that these workers are getting that. Um, there will probably be some controversy because, you know, um, companies are going to have to pay a little bit more. Customers might have to pay a little bit more. Um, it might be added on, tacked on somehow to that tab when you order your food. And so we'll just have to see how this plays out. Yeah, we're going to have to watch it carefully and see what the implications are. But what happened yesterday is going to be groundbreaking. No question about it. So let's move on to our first story, which is about Walmart and dollar stores. Uh, Basically, this report out of the Penn Capital Star um, reported on the Institute for Self-Reliance panel uh, that was recently held. And the quote is, just five giant retail chains now capture about half of all grocery sales One company, Walmart, captures one out of every $4 that Americans spend on groceries. Uh, There was actually the newest member of the Federal Trade Commission who participated on the panel, as well as some other experts. And basically what they have said is Walmart, super centers and dollar stores, because of the foods that they sell and the prices that they have, are really eliminating good, healthy alternatives for people who live in food deserts and when they don't have the issue um, of having full service supermarkets. What they also go out to point out that Walmart and others have reduced the, the amount of business that they're giving to small independent farmers. They're looking for these huge farms that can fulfill their contracts, needless to say. But as a result, some of these small farmers are going out of business as well. Yes, it is a problem that we as a society should be looking at. I agree. You know, I I also before I say um, what I'm about to say, I I would I would like to point out that I am a fan of Walmart and their offerings as far as affordable 
produce and healthy selections. I really think that they do a great job with offering that to people at an, in an affordable way. The issue here is when we see dollar stores coming in that are not offering healthy foods, but crushing the independent grocer that is there. And as you pointed out, Phil, with these big stores coming into these communities where these local farmers have relied on the contracts they have with independent grocers for for years and years and years, all of a sudden are losing those contracts. And um, and that is their lifeline. It is. And uh, we've really got to have that balance. Now, National Grocers Association uh, started running some advertisements um, talking about how these larger chains are putting independent grocers out of business. Uh, but we need a balance. We need a balance, to your point, of these large stores that can offer great prices as well as independent stores. Um, and while they can't offer the right prices, um, they might be able to offer service or higher quality or more local. Um, so we really need to, depending on where people live in the country, be able to have all these offerings there. Um, in the meantime, there's some new um, data that's come out about dairy products. What we've seen over the past couple of years is a lot of bad press about dairy. Uh, full disclosure, my grandfather and father were dairy farmers, so I've got a you know, in, in, ingrained uh, prejudice against those kinds of stories when I see them. Uh, but what we see now is there's a bunch of long-term observational studies that suggest people who consume more dairy have a lower risk of diabetes, um, and they break down what the dairy products are. Uh, dairy currently makes up about 10% of calories in the typical American adult's uh, diet. Um, for 40 years, this uh, cardiologist at Tufts Medical Center points out, one approach to dairy has reigned supreme, get calcium and avoid fat. Um, he um, was named one of the world's most influential scientific minds by Thomson Reuters, nominated by President Biden to serve on the President's Council on Sports, Fitness, and Nutrition, uh, and believes that dairy is one of the most interesting and understudied categories of food. Um, he is Darius Mosafarin, and uh, basically he breaks down in this report um, who, what dairy products are the best for our health. Um, number one in his book is yogurt. It's consistently linked to lower risk of diabetes, lower risk of obesity and weight gain in long-term observational studies. It's high in probiotics, um, lower weight and improves glucose and insulin levels. Um, cheese, which has come under a lot of attack recently. Um, it's He says it's cheese is the top fermented food consumed in the U.S. Um, other cultures around the world consume kimchi or sauerkraut. But here in the U.S., it's cheese, and the fermentation creates new compounds, and also many cheeses have active bacterial cultures or probiotics with them. But I've got to tell you something. Um, the one that, that makes me smile is ice cream. What he said <laughs> is that um, the long-term observational studies of ice cream found that people who consume ice cream have a lower risk of diabetes long-term. Um, there's two reasons. One is that it actually lowers the risk through some unknown mechanism 
Second is the people who have other risk factors that make them more at risk of diabetes avoid ice cream. Um, his number one dessert is dark chocolate that's 70% cacao. And number two is healthy, minimally processed real ice cream, not the processed stuff that's full of junk and colors and little, you know, munchy things in there and stuff like that. What do you think? Yes, this was a was a very um, informative article to read about um, all these different benefits um, or not benefits of dairy that um, we we've been thinking all of these years. And and obviously yogurt and cheese having those probiotics in them that is great to be reminded of that and how that can um, people lower help people lower their risk of diabetes. Um, these two products also are really great for people who are switching to more of a plant-based diet and moving away from meat, cheese, and and yogurt are great options to put into your diet um, to give you that protein. Um, I thought that his take on milk was very interesting, that he really was kind of neutral on milk, you know, that um, you can drink it if you want to. It's not really bad for you, but it's not necessarily as good for us. What I did learn from this about milk that was interesting to me was um, him talking about how sometimes on dairy farms, um, while they are using a cow to produce milk, they also impregnated that cow for a dual purpose to produce meat and they're producing dairy at the same time. This is not good for the cow because the cow is then producing um, uh, these uh, hormones that are getting into the milk that we don't want in our milk. and so, so that was one thing I really learned from that. So that's something for consumers to know when, where they're getting their milk, if they are interested in vo- avoiding those hormones that, you know, to buy from dairies that are not doing that. Um, but yes, you know, I love that he says ice cream is healthier than a piece of bread. Yay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And also um, some other late breaking news this morning. I got an email early this morning. Um, that the Museum of Ice Cream, which currently is in New York City, Austin, Texas, Chicago, and Singapore, is going to be opening up a new location, a permanent location in Miami, Florida as well. So if you're in New York, Singapore, Austin, Chicago, and soon Miami, make sure you check out the Museum of Ice Cream. If you've never been there, it's a hoot. It's absolutely fabulous. Um, Food Navigator has a new report um, it's their second installment of the Food Navigator USA four-part video series that looks at sustainability and future-proofing the food system, how companies and people are reducing their carbon footprint and improving their sustainability, and the fact that, you know, it's a blow-away fact, 80% of consumers say they care about sustainability, but only 20% of them are actually acting on it and paying for sustainability when they make food choices. So what's going on here, Sally? Yes. Well, there is a there is a disconnect between um, these consumers that really do want to um, to eat for a better planet or, you know, to buy those those more uh, premium level products that they know are better for better for us as a society. But the problem is, is that, you know, what's what's prime what what is the most important thing to most consumers is taste and then price and so if these foods do not taste good to us or if they are too expensive then we can't um expect the consumers to um to just jump on and buy these products now it's interesting um hearing about uh how you know if if 
people that are creating these plant-based products want to get consumers onto their products and buying more of their products, then maybe they need to pull back on the labeling. You know, we've seen studies that say when we put healthy across something on the package that sometimes people don't want to buy it. And so we're, we're talking about here about, you know, using the word maybe vegetarian instead of vegan. Um, we're also talking about these companies investing in more flavor and making these making these products taste better, and then also finding ways to bring that price down. And they also talk about some other things that companies should do, make it very clear about what your source of protein is so people don't have to hide, uh, look for it when it's hidden. Uh, The third is highlighting some of that more sensory appeal to hit on the juicy, craveable taste sensations. And lastly, highlighting more of the positive health benefits Uh, If brands use these, they outperform those that use fewer of them by up to six times. Um, And also what they point out is consumer interest um, is very high. Two thirds of younger consumers age 16 to 40 say they plan to spend more on plant based meat and dairy in the future. So clearly, if you follow this advice, Um, You're going to do better with your plant-based products. Um, Don't assume that the consumer understands what you understand as the brand that's putting it out there. Um, Talking about scientific studies, a new one um, shows that fiber and antioxidants can counteract the effects of junk food. Um, It's a book, um, Deshaun B. Ames, um, sorry, Deshaun E. Barnes, Um, is the author and nutrition enthusiast, um, just wrote a book, Counteract the Fat, how scientific studies have shown that fiber and antioxidants can counteract the psychological effects of junk food and promote cholesterol and weight control without restriction. Have not read the book. Gets the award for the longest title of any food (laughs) book that I have ever seen in my life. Um, But... Uh, basically, a lot of science is here. It's worth a read. We've ordered it. Um, we'll get back to you on it. But you know, some some groundbreaking research is that high fat foods produce cholesterol related acids that can clog arteries and raise cholesterol levels. We know that that opens the door to heart disease. And the scientists at the University of Kentucky College of Medicine have identified a type of fiber known as beta-glucans that can counteract that effect. So this book is chock full of what you can do um, to counteract the effects of those foods. That doesn't mean you should go out and just eat fast food and then eat a lot of fiber antioxidants, but it's a good balance. Um, It also talks, as we've talked about here forever, hot dogs, bacon, and other processed meats contain nitrites. And over time, the nitrites can open the door to pancreatic cancer by breaking down and converting it. So vitamin C and E can counteract that effect. What do you think of of this review of this book? I am very interested in this book. And what I do like about this approach is that it is um, it's not it's not telling us, you know, the top line is not, you know, don't eat this. It's about what we can add to our diets. Um, and and that is a very positive thing. I message for people to hear. Um, it is true that only five percent in the in of the people in the U.S. are meeting the recommended amount of fiber that they need to have daily. 
So we really are looking at a a major fiber gap in our diets here in the United States. It is great to see um, some, even some big food companies like Mondelez and Unilever are adding fi more fiber to their products, adding iron to their products, um, adding antioxidants. This is great to see. Um, while we do want to see those so the sodium and the fat uh, consumption coming down, um, it, it's encouraging to know that there's some science behind this now that shows that we can counteract that, um, that bad stuff we're eating. Absolutely. And what we're going to do is, um, when we get the book, we're going to put some of the highlights up on supermarketguru.com for all the retailers to do it and urge your retail dietitians to get out there, get the book, lots of great, um, information that's easy to absorb and easy to understand. Um, and again, it's all based on research. Uh, talking about research, uh, we talk a lot about what's going on in chat GPT and chat bots um, all over the place. Uh, but there's a new one um, that was just taken down. It was put up by the National Eating Disorders Association. It was called TESA. And the idea was it could discover coping skills for those people who have eating disorders. But they shut it down. Uh, well, first in March, they shut down their human staffed helpline and they turned it over to the bot. And it looks like, Sally, that that was a disaster. Yes, it does. And um, it, and it's it's great that they tested this and realized that it wasn't working because we all are um, looking to a technology right now to replace a lot of human capabilities. But this is one area maybe where we don't. Um, we have, um, you know, eating disorders are the among the deadliest mental illness in our country. And we've had a big increase in that since the pandemic um, with what they found in this Instagram platform based um, uh, uh, chat bot. Tessa was they found that Tessa was giving advice like, you know, going on a scale or, um, you know, having a safe deficit of calories, like things that had to do with limiting food. And a lot of people that are experiencing eating disorders do not we don't want to encourage them limiting food. They need more calories. A lot of these individuals facing this challenge. And so um, it's good that they recognize that the chat bot and I hope that in the future, more companies that are trying to use AI um, will weigh the like where we need the human involved and, and where we can use the artificial intelligence. And Johanna Candell, the founder and uh, CEO of the National Alliance for Eating Disorders, um, is quoted um, very, um, very astutely. Uh, when someone is reaching out for help and they're in their eating disorder, they are given content that's not only not helpful, with connecting them to care, but can be triggering. That can do so much more harm than good. That we're even talking about chatbots as a way to disseminate mental health treatment or prevention or mental health care at all really highlights the crisis that we're in with the mental health epidemic in the country. Very well said. And to your point, Sally, before these companies, you know, start using it as it relates to our health, wellness, food, they need to do a lot more testing, I think, than they ever realized um, the impact that this is going to have. Well, it's time for a new product review from the makers of Spoglini Pasta. I just love it when a brand is truly artisan, and this one is. Their pastas are extruded in bronze dyes, a production technique that Francis Ford Coppola first introduced me to, oh, well over 25 years ago when he launched his pasta line. 
and it really does make all the difference. Each piece of pasta is designed to hold the sauce perfectly, and it cooks up like you find in a top Italian restaurant. Now, this new variety is porcini mushroom that is made with organic durum semolina and a puree of porcini mushrooms. Unlike some other brands that might use mushroom powder basically as a colorant that you can't even taste, this is the real deal, made with real porcinis that deliver an earthy flavor that, frankly, is perfect with their recipe that's on their website for a mushroom sauce or just a little bit of truffle oil and a tiny bit of garlic. I tried it both ways. The pasta itself is campanelli-shaped. That means little bell in Italian, and each piece holds the sauce beautifully. This is truly a delightful dinner. Next time I make it, I'm going to try to mix it with some vegetables and add even more mushrooms. Vegan and non-GMO retails for $5.99. Check it out at spoglini.com and in retailers across the country. On today's bullseye, I happen to love pizza, but I'm a bit of a purist. Mozzarella, maybe mushrooms, onion, ground beef, or pepperoni, depending on my mood. And that's about it. So when I read the announcement that Pizza Hut last Wednesday launched their pickled pizza, I just had to hold my head. Yes, you heard me correctly. Pizza Hut's new pickled pizza consists of a hand-tossed crust instead of a tomato sauce. They're using buttermilk ranch base topped with cheesy, crispy, breaded chicken breast seasoned with Nashville hot seasoning. Seriously? And then they add slices of white onion and spicy dill pickles on top. Penny Shacken, Pizza Hut's head of food innovation, said in a press release that they're always looking for innovative ways to add new tastes and textures to our dishes. Comment. I'm not sure this is a new innovative way. And pickles have been gaining popularity due to their versatility. Our recipe is all about great flavor, balancing the tanginess of pickles with other classic ingredients we know taste good on our beloved pizza, she says. So here's the good news. It's only available for a limited time, thank goodness, at the New York City Pizza Hut at 932 8th Avenue, and it costs $17.99. They would have to pay me a lot more than that just to try it. Pizza Hut actually didn't invent pickle pizza. In a Google search, I found that the first mention of this unique delicacy, delicacy, at Rhino's Pizzeria in Webster, New York. Yes, Pizza Hut, you're generating some weird PR about your brand, so let's leave it at that. In the meantime, maybe just focus on making great pizzas for the rest of us. The Lemper Report is all about inspiring ideas, making our industry think, and challenging each other. Let's think about being the shopper and how we can bring our supermarkets and our restaurants and everybody who sells food closer to meet these shoppers' needs. I hope you'll come back to join us on next week's installment of The Lemper Report Live when we focus on the biggest and the best insights and the things that really matter. Be sure to visit supermarketguru.com throughout the week for the latest marketing analysis, issues, and trends affecting our industry.